In today's episode, I'll spend a few more minutes with the ideas of autonomy. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us again on Preach Impediments. This podcast is made possible by EdenHollow.com. And of course, we would love for you to go over there and check out the things happening with Eden Hollow. Autonomy is a bit of a tricky subject, especially when you're looking at it from a biblical point of view, because it's a word that's not actually in the Bible. We would argue that the idea is in the Bible, but the word itself is not. And honestly, many religious groups actually claim the concept of autonomy. If you look through different denominations and their statements and beliefs, many of them will talk about autonomy and talk about it in different ways. Some will talk about the individual church being autonomous in activity, but they still take direction from a church board as far as leadership. You'll have other groups that talk about complete autonomy, where every individual congregation makes all of its own decision, handles all of its finances, and does all of the work on its own. Depending on which group you're talking about, autonomy is going to mean something slightly different. So let's talk about what the Bible actually shows as being autonomous. Well, I think we can all agree that the leadership is shown to be autonomous in the Bible. You just have to look at a couple of passages to see that. For instance, over in 1 Peter chapter 5, you have this statement about elders where it says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so there, the elders are told to shepherd and oversee the people that they are over or the people that they are among. And that idea of making decisions and shepherding and overseeing the people that you are around, that is the concept of autonomy, that those elders are only responsible for the people that are around them. Paul makes similar statements over in Acts chapter 20 when he's talking to the elders from the church of Ephesus. He says there in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And so again, you have this idea of elders taking care of the people that are around them, the flock of which they are a part. And so that concept of leadership taking care of their own individual group 
is the concept of autonomy. What you don't read of in scripture anywhere is the idea that elders would take care of multiple flocks. And you don't have the idea of multiple flocks coming together underneath some sort of leadership board with maybe the possible exception of the apostles themselves. But being that we do not have apostles as they are described over in Acts chapter 1 anymore. And and honestly, the only leadership we still have would be the eldership. Then the way churches should be set up would be with an eldership over their own group. Another way you read of autonomy in the early church would be in regards to money, the money that they collect. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first four verses say, Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. And so again, you've got this idea of that church was gathering their own money for the purpose that Paul had shown them, which was to send money to the church in Jerusalem. We'll come back and talk about that in a few moments. Again, another example of that would be at the end of Acts chapter 4, where Barnabas sold some land he had and gave it to the apostles so that they could use it to distribute to the needs of the church. In Acts chapter 6, you have the apostles leading the church there, and they are taking care of the widows there that are a part of their individual church. And so the idea of money being gathered up and being used and the decisions made on how to use that money seems to be something that each individual group could do. What's interesting is that Paul gave the same instructions to many churches, both in Corinth and in Galatia. He talks in over in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about how the churches of Macedonia were sending money to the church in Jerusalem And he recommends them and commends them for the work that they're doing, that they're doing even beyond what they were asked to do. And the church in Corinth was doing less than what they had agreed to do. But it seems that each church was doing with their money what they believe should be done with their money. And so that sense of autonomy regarding the money that the church has as a resource is another way in which autonomy is taught in Scripture. Again, another way, and this is more of a logical step than it is necessarily a specific passage of Scripture, but another way that autonomy exists within the church is in the activities themselves. Just logically speaking, I can work with the people that that function with me as a congregation in a lot easier way than I can work with Christians that live on the other side of the ocean, or Christians that live in a different state. While in some ways we might gather together, uh, figuratively speaking, as we all gather together on the first day of the week, if we want to get together and do some good work, more than likely that will be taking place as an individual group. And so there's autonomy there. But as we talked about in the last episode with Coulter, Just because there is autonomy, that does not necessitate exclusion. 
elders can help other elders. You know, they do not have to exist exclusively apart from each other. Now, an eldership cannot demand that another eldership make a decision that they think should be made, but they can advise and help and guide one another. You know, money is sent from Corinth to Jerusalem. Now, when that money exchanges hands, Corinth now cannot tell Jerusalem what to do with its money. You never read of that in scripture. But money can be sent from one church to another church for the purpose of helping the needs of the saints in another area. You have many Christians who traveled and worshiped with many different churches, Paul being one of those. We have examples and explanations of the trips that he took to work with different churches. And so the activity that he is involved in as an individual is not really an autonomous activity. It is something that he does. And we as Christians have the opportunity to work with many groups if we so choose. We've got to be careful that we do not go too far with our understanding of what the scriptures teach when we're seeking to be approved. We can be, God is not going to be pleased if we are going beyond what he says and doing things that he has not commanded us to do. But I think God is also going to be displeased if we are excluding activities we should be doing all because we're trying to be, quote, too careful. Ultimately, our goal is to bring glory to God. We want to do things God's way. We want to do things that God wants us to do. And we want to do things for God's glory. And if those are our three goals, we will generally do pretty well when it comes to designing what we as a local group of God's people are going to do in our service to God. That also means, though, that there are going to be some disagreements regarding what a local congregation might decide to do when we compare local groups. And that's okay. Just because one group has decided to do things one way and another local group has decided to do things a different way, that is a completely acceptable way for us to to function as the kingdom of God. If there's one group who decides they're going to meet Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and there's another group in town who has decided they're only going to meet on Sunday morning, and another group in town who's decided they're only going to meet on Sunday evening, that's okay. As long as they are doing what the scriptures say, which is gathering together on the first day of the week in order to worship God and remember the sacrifice of his son, if they're doing that, The manner in which they're doing that has a lot of variation and a lot of possibility. And by design, that's how God wanted his church to function. Uh, God wanted his church, each congregation of his church, to be autonomous and to be able to make the decisions that are right for them and their community. You know, in some communities, people commute so far, it doesn't make sense to, uh, to break in the middle of the day and come back in the evening. Sometimes it's better to just meet at one time. Other times it is good to come back together in the evening. Uh, That's just going to depend on what each individual group wants to do. And I think a good example of that in scripture is looking at the qualities of elders as they are seen in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. It's always been amazing to me that in those lists, Each list, depending on how you count it, 
have 15 qualities we're looking for in a man who's going to serve as an elder. Of those 15 qualities, in each list, five of them are exactly the same in Greek and in English. Uh, He is to be a one-woman man. He's to be self-controlled, hospitable, not a drunkard, and not violent. And so those five qualities are the exact same both in Timothy and in Titus. What's interesting is that five other qualities are similar in the Greek and oftentimes get, get translated similarly in English. For instance, Timothy and Titus both talk about him being above reproach, even though it uses different Greek words for that. One says skilled in teaching, the other says able to exhort with sound teaching and rebuke. Another one says be gracious, and the other one intemperate. And the other one says, not quick-tempered. One says, Timothy's list says, not a lover of money. And Titus's list said, not greedy for gain. Timothy's list says, managing his own household well. And Titus's list says, having faithful children, not accused of debauchery and rebellion. So those five qualities are similar in Titus's and Timothy's list, but they are not exactly the same. What's really astonishing, though, is that five qualities are entirely different depending on the list you're looking at. So Titus's list says that the elder is chosen because he is disciplined, he loves what is good, he's a steward of God, he's just, and he's holy. Those five things are not in Timothy's list. Timothy's list says that he is to be Uh, desiring a good work. He's to be clear-minded. He's to be dignified, not a recent convert, and have a good reputation with outsiders. Now, you look at those lists, and you've got two different lists. But I don't know that any of us would argue that those lists wouldn't choose the same kind of men. If we really want to pick it apart, and try to really be specific with it, then yes, I guess we could in some ways argue that maybe since Timothy's list says that he has to have a good reputation with outsiders, if we were using his list, we have to interview his neighbors and interview his co-workers. But since Titus's list doesn't say anything about outsiders, then we don't have to interview those people, and we might end up with two different men. But when you combine the list entirely, when you look at them side by side, it's a pretty tall order of a man with great character, godly character, and a God-honoring life. And you're going to essentially choose the same man. Now, I think the reason there are different qualities listed in Titus's list versus Timothy's list is that these are different churches. They have different circumstances. And they probably are facing different challenges at the time. And that's okay. Uh, Those differences that you see there in the list probably really identify the fact that these churches are different. And maybe their specific needs were slightly different. But no matter which list you look at, you've got the same men chosen with the same purpose and the same goals of choosing God. So while the lists are different, they accomplish the same goal. And that's essentially how autonomy really works. Uh, 
we as churches have the same goal. Our goal is to bring honor to God, to do things God's way, and to do the things that God wants us to do. Every church has that same list of ideals and goals that they're trying to achieve. But they might actually achieve them by doing things slightly differently. Some are going to worship at certain times versus others. And that doesn't make one church right and one church wrong. Some churches are going to worship in a different way than others. And that doesn't make one church right versus one church wrong. Some churches aren't going to, are going to involve themselves in different activities. That doesn't make one church right and one church wrong. The only thing that would make a church wrong, despite the differences, is if they've lost sight of doing what they do God's way for God's glory. And that's really the key. If we have that as our purpose, then we will do well no matter how we decide to accomplish God's things and God's ways. God does give us some variety and some potential possibilities in the way that we're going to do things, and we have to allow for that. That also means, as we talked about in our earlier podcast, that some churches are going to be better suited for certain people and certain personalities. Some churches are full of introverts and some churches are full of extroverts. And it is very hard for an introvert to go into a congregation full of extroverts and feel like they belong there and vice versa. It is very hard for an extrovert to go into a room full of introverts and feel like they belong there. But if you have different churches that are all seeking to do things God's way and do the things God wants and do things for God's glory, but they have different personalities and different quirks and different ways to go about doing things, different churches will appeal to different people. And that's okay. That doesn't make one church better than the other. That doesn't make one church more righteous than the other. And it doesn't make another church wrong. We need to get out of the habit of judging groups of people because they aren't doing things the way we like them or because they aren't doing things the way that we're used to them. Our goal is to just do things God's way, do the things God wants, and do them for God's glory, and do those things in a way that is best for the congregation, for the flock to grow and to be strengthened in their service for God. I hope this podcast has been helpful and maybe even a little challenging for you as we talk about autonomy and what that means and what that looks like on a very practical level. It is okay for me to be a part of a group that does things a little different. And it is okay if I'm a part of a group that's done things the same way for 20 years for those things to change if it is right for the group in their their pursuit of growth and their pursuit of doing things the way God would want them to do them. There's not one right way to do things as long as the way they're doing them is for God's glory. I hope this has been beneficial to you and I hope you will continue to tune in to Preach Impediments. Uh, If you've got questions about anything we've talked about or if you've got other topics you would like us to discuss, reach out to us. 
You can find all of our contact information at preachimpediments.com or look us up on Facebook. We're there also. We would love to interact with you and help you and see what we can do to, to strengthen you as you seek to do things God's way in your own life. Until next time.